Good morning, Moody Church. It is good to see you this morning and to be with you, be able to open God's Word today. You've already heard the passage read, and you know that the passage deals with phrases that maybe you're familiar with, phrases like, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile. So we're going to look at what those mean and what they meant then and how they're applied now. We'll walk through the text in doing that. And if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 38. Matthew chapter 5 beginning at verse 38. Now, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, which we've reminded ourselves is the most important teaching, given by the most important teacher who ever walked the face of the earth. And in Matthew chapter 5, he's in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount has uh, much to say for us today, and I think this passage today will be a powerful reminder to us of what it means to live as Christians in a day that a lot of people are angry, a lot of people are outraged. I want to talk about today what it means to turn down the outrage by looking at the Sermon on the Mount. You see, Christians deal with conflict differently because of Christ. On an individual basis, as a Christian, you go further than the law or your rights require. Now, that's not always how people think, right? Things escalate very, very quickly, it appears. You may have heard about uh, this past January, just a few months ago, a man pled guilty to committing a federal crime. His punishment, which came from the judge, can be up to, which comes from the judge, comes, could be up to 10 years in prison and a $250,000 fine. The man's name was Rene Boucher. And to be honest, there's probably none of you have any idea who he is. He's actually a retired doctor. He was living in an upscale neighborhood in a uh, medium-sized town in Kentucky. So what federal crime did he commit? Did he rob a bank? Did he try to assassinate somebody? Did he confess to joining a terrorist organization? Nope, none of these things. Instead, he attacked his neighbor. Now, it happens to be that Boucher's neighbor, the man he assaulted, is a sitting member of Congress. And the next-door neighbor was actually, his name is Senator Rand Paul. So what was the reason for his attack? Why could he now spend 10 years in prison and pay a $250,000 fine? Now, why? What was this? Were they mad? Was there, had Senator Paul assaulted him some years back as patient revenge? Had Paul plotted to oust Boucher from the neighborhood and getting on the homeowners association to kick him out? Or had, he, had, had Paul voted for legislation that Boucher thought was morally terrible? Nope, none of these things. For 17 years, the two had an ongoing feud about how Ron Paul, Rand Paul mowed his lawn. Sometimes Paul's uh, lawnmower would actually throw grass clippings on Boucher's professionally manicured lawn. Boucher would complain about it. And in November 2017, Paul stacked up some broken branches in a pile near Boucher's lawn to continue to mow his grass. Like Popeye, Boucher had had all he could stand and couldn't stand any longer. Out of nowhere, he tackles, blindsides Paul, coming from behind, tackling him to the ground. The attack fractured five of his ribs. Paul ran Paul's ribs. He developed pneumonia afterwards. Police were called to the scene. A private neighborhood aghast at such behavior. A man will likely spend part of his life in prison, all of this over lawn mowing. Which leads us to today's passage. It says, you've heard that it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, take your tunic, uh, let them have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. 
Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now, our passage this morning is the fifth pronouncement in the Sermon on the Mount showing us how to truly understand the fulfilled law from God's kingdom and from a greater righteousness perspective. It's a fairly well-known passage, even for people who don't go to church or not Christians. Braces like an eye for an eye, turn the other cheek, uh, go the extra mile, are now kind of common in our vernacular today. Now, a lot of times people don't use them the way Jesus used them or taught them, so we want to look at that today. But this passage is a wonderful reminder of how influential the Bible is. If you haven't been to the Museum of the Bible in the, in the D.C. area, I encourage you to go because you actually have a, a list of all the phrases and kind of common use that are actually come from the Bible. Here's just a few of them. So if people use the phrases incorrectly, though, we need to take the time to understand the passage. We're going to examine these verses individually, but the overarching theme, if you will, kind of can be described this way, right? Is that Matthew 5, 38 through 42 shows the principle, the principle that God's people are called to engage the world with a higher standard to forgive constantly, to love extraordinarily, to live as Jesus did. So we're going to follow the pattern that we followed now for weeks in these outlines because Jesus is following the pattern. It starts with number one, the law. Now again, let me remind you, Christians deal with conflict differently because of Christ. And on an individual basis, as a Christian, you go further than the law or your rights require. Matthew 5.38 says this, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. Now, Jesus is actually quoting here exactly from the Old Testament, and here's what it says. This is a passage in Exodus 21. It says, but when men strive together and hit a pregnant woman, in other words, they're fighting and they hit a pregnant woman, so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judge determines. It goes on. It says, but if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, uh, stripe for stripe. Now, this passage teaches a concept called lex talionis. Now, what that is, it's, it's Latin for uh, kind of the law of revenge, the law of response. And when we hear the phrase like the law of revenge, we think that this is, um, you know, something that that's a bad thing. Well, it, it, actually, in this case, it's the opposite. It's keeping people from escalating things as they go. I mean, maybe you've heard of the Hatfields and the McCoys, right? I mean, eventually they're killing each other all over the area. People are dying. Uh, there's multiple killings. It all started over an argument over a pig. And so what happens is it sort of escalates, it escalates, and escalates. It wasn't, you stole my pig, so I'll take your pig. It soon became, we're killing each other as entire families, right? So it keeps things from escalating, this lex talionis. And matter of fact, it existed before uh, the Old Testament, right? This is, these, this is language that's in and around the whole region, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Now, without this kind of law, you egg my house, right? Then, I'll, then I'm going to throw a brick through your window, which leads you to douse my house in gasoline, which leads me to shoot you. I mean, you see how it escalates so quickly? So, so I ultimately committed murder because you threw an egg at my house. So, but by these kinds of laws, it would create a system of justice where it would keep things from escalating. So if you egg my house, I'm allowed to egg your house back. It stops the escalation of violence. The human heart is wicked and wants to escalate those things. There's always an escalation that's going to take place. And you say, not me. Well, of course not you. But let me ask you a question. Just let me ask a question to those of you who are married and you're here, husband and wife are here together, to you wives. Uh, how many of you wives 
have been driving down the Eisenhower or whatever, and somebody tailgated your husband, and he intentionally slowed down or tapped his brakes. You just raise your hand for just a second and confess on your husband for you. I see those hands, okay? Some of the husbands are like, don't put your hand up. Okay, well, and, and, and what happens is, the problem is sometimes that escalates, right? So what happens is you tap on the brakes and then that person speeds up and taps on the brakes in front of you. And, then, and that's why we have things like road rage, not with the members of Moody Church because they've read the Bible. <laughs> but it's human nature to escalate some of these things, right? And so what these are not... Uh, these are the kind of examples that kind of prove the point of this kind of law. We want revenge. This limits this. And God in his wisdom set up the law in such a way that it provided boundaries in the Old Testament. If X happens to you, you don't have the authority to go to Z. You've got to respond with X in return. So justice, not revenge, is precisely what God intends here. And we see it again, word for word, uh, in Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 24 says this. It says, whoever takes a human life... Uh, shall surely be put to death. Whoever takes an animal's life shall make it good uh, for life for life. If anyone injures his neighbor, in other words, they'd replace the animal. If anyone injures his neighbor, as he is done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury uh, he has given a person shall be given to him. Whoever kills an animal shall make it good. Whoever kills a person shall be put to death. You shall have the same rule for the sojourner and for the native, for I am Lord your God. By the way, that was, might I add, very, very significant in the book of Leviticus, that people who were not from the nation also had the rules applied to them. So again, it, it, it really is laying out, you can't escalate these things, because whether you're a native or a sojourner, whether you're a Protestant or a Catholic, whether you're American or Lithuanian, we all have sinful hearts, and this law would reign in our desire for revenge. This law would keep us from escalating. Why? Here's what I'm going to miss this. Nobody ever murdered anyone because they were murdered. Think on that for a second. <laughs> Nobody ever murdered anyone because they were murdered. It escalated to that point. But Christians deal with conflict differently because of Christ. On an individual basis, as a Christian, you go further than the law or your rights require. So let's jump into, well, number two on our outline, the true meaning. So the true meaning we're going to look at, it says this in Matthew 5, 39, the first part. But I tell you, do not resist the one who is evil. Now don't take this. You see, you can see the whole text here because Jesus gives the examples. This isn't a generic term that every evil person shouldn't, or every evil cause, or every evil moment shouldn't be resisted. Now, I, sh I should say there are some people who think that. There are pacifists who think that, and this verse is where they glean that from. I think when you see a verse that you're like, does that mean this? You've got to look at the totality of the Bible and see what the Bible as a whole says on this issue. Because, for example, in Acts 22, uh, Paul actually asks that he's about to be, he's about to be uh, whipped, and he says to the Roman, is it legal for you to do this? Uh, I'm a Roman citizen who's not condemned. So Paul appeal, appeals to the law and resists the evil. In 1 Timothy 5.8, it says a man should provide for his family. That includes security. That includes protecting and more. And it says if you're not, you're worse than an infidel. So that is, in a sense, providing. And I will tell you personally, I have resisted an intruder that was trespassing in danger to my family. 
So, so, so again, I, I will tell you, I'm not a pacifist. I, I think pacifists, many pacifists love Jesus. It's just a different approach, right? Proverbs 25, 26 says, like a, like a muddy spring is a righteous man who gives way to the wicked. So why then does Jesus say this? Well, here's again, because on an individual basis, as a Christian, you're going to see you go further than the law or your rights require. And there's also... Jesus doesn't eliminate the law here. As a matter of fact, he says the exact opposite, right? Remember, we talked about this earlier in Matthew 5, verse 17. Don't think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come, not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them, right? So, so somebody, you may turn the other cheek, and the person who slapped you may still go to jail. Does that make sense? So the law still remains. How I individually respond doesn't necessarily negate the law of the land. So Jesus tells us and points us to a different direction. So he, he actually, and this is, this is key, right? So Jesus says, but I tell you, do not resist the one who is evil. On an individual basis, as a Christian, you go further than the law or your rights require. You'll turn the other cheek. You'll walk the extra mile. We'll see these radical ideas as we walk through this uh, together. Now, why, why is that the case? Well, because you can say, what about my rights? Well, I love this. This is actually from from John Piper in, uh, in, his, in, in Love Your Enemies, he says this, but the Jesus follower must see himself, see herself as a disciple of Jesus first and an American second. Whatever rights we are offered by our Constitution and the Bill of Rights must fall to the Lordship of Christ. He says, God gives by concession a legal regulation as a dam against a river of violence which flows from evil men's hearts. So if your neighbor piles up branches and blows grass on your yard, instead of attacking him and breaking five ribs, you let it go. And you move on from that. When the guy behind you tail lights, don't, don't slam on your brakes to teach him a lesson. When your coworker disparages you to a superior, uh, Jesus' teaching is that you let it go, right? You hear a lot about letting it go. I want to break out into let it go, but I won't. But the reality is, is that's a key phrase here, is Jesus is saying, let some of these things pass. It doesn't mean that we don't resist an evil person trying to take advantage of others. It doesn't mean when you see violence or, or, or sexual abuse or, or, or domestic abuse that you say, well, I'm just going to let it go. I'm going to let it be. No, you call the police. That's what we do at Moody Church. You call the police. But the reality is, is that for us, we walk individually, and the examples Jesus gives speak to how we respond. Let me, let me, let me give you an example, right? Um, let, let's, let, let me give you an example that may be a little shocking of an example, right? Because um, there's something greater here. There's a greater, a higher standard, a higher righteousness. Uh, you may be familiar with the shooting at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina, an historic African-American church called Mother Emanuel because it was the mother church of so many others. It was interesting watching after because during the, uh, there are certain places where the victims get to speak to the perpetrator of the crime, and they were indeed given that opportunity to speak directly uh, at the first court appearance of the accused gunman. And it was interesting because I watched CNN, and I, I watched, uh, it was actually just the incredulous nature of some of the CNN guests. I think it was Anderson Cooper interviewing some. And to see these believers in Jesus and what they said, and to see the anchors on CNN say, I, I just, I just, I don't have a concept or understanding of how they could say these things. Because here's what they said. I'm reading from a Washington Post article on the subject. 
The relatives of the slain people inside the historic African-American church in Star Charleston, South Carolina, earlier this week, were able to speak to the accused uh, directly, uh, directly the accused gunman Friday at his first court appearance. One by one, the story goes on, those who chose to speak at a bond hearing did not turn to anger. Instead, while he remained impassive, they offered him forgiveness, said they were praying for his soul, and even described the pain of, even as they described uh, the pain of their losses. I forgive you, Nadine Collier, the daughter of the seven-year-old Ethel Lance, said at the hearing, her voice breaking with emotion. You took something very precious from me. I will never talk to her again. I will never hold her, never ever hold her again, but I forgive you and have mercy on your soul. And when they played that video, the commentators on CNN were without words because the people at Mother Emmanuel taught us what it was, what it looks like to respond as Jesus would call us to respond in the midst of injustice being done to us. Now, why does that matter? So I'm not talking about necessarily pacifism, but, but instead, uh, but non-participation in insults, de-escalation of conflicts, and forgiveness of wrongs, right? Right, so I'm not talking about, about lawns, we're talking about offenses. I gotta tell you, I personally had the challenge of a lawn situation when I was a, uh, when I lived in Nashville. We lived on a, on a neighborhood that had a homeowners association in it. And for some reason, the neighbor to the next of us didn't like us. I mean, how do people not like the Stetzers? I mean, I know what you're saying. I'm like, I can't think of a way either. Um, and my kids didn't like my kids. Have you seen my kids? I mean, they are the smartest. They are the nicest. They're just, they're all awesome. And, um, but there was no fence between our yards. Our homeowners association had certain requirements. And, and, uh, and so my daughters, who uh, would be playing, I don't know, kicker, kickball, uh, soccer, whatever, and uh, the ball would go in their yard, and they sort of sat in the room right on our side of the house with the window open, sort of waiting for the ball to go on their yard, and they'd say, get off our lawn, please. And they said it, please, but they didn't mean the please. <laughs> get off our lawn. And so my daughters were like, um, okay, but sometimes the ball goes over there, and then what happened is people sort of, I mean, there were, we, we, we built a little thing in our yard. We had a little, we called it Stetzer Park, but it was just, we had a zip line, a tire swing, a set of swings, a rock, because we wanted all the neighbors to come over so we could build a relationship with them. And so, but that meant that people would cut through the neighbor's lawn. And they didn't like that either. So it was, you know, don't cut through my lawn. And they would actually, you know, when my kids get home, they would sort of wait to make sure none of the other kids would cut across the lawn. And I will tell you, um, my response was not the best response that Jesus would have me to respond. I'm sure Pastor Lutzer would have done much better. Um, my response was, how do you not like my children? Matter of fact, my, my children, if they're on your lawn, you should be thankful to the Lord that they're on your lawn. You should build a little shrine that my daughters stood here because they're all going to be like super famous and change the world, and they stepped on your lawn. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna venerate this grass right here. They didn't buy it. But I knew that in our homeowners association, there was a, uh, there's a little easement between properties, right? So, so on the back, so people would cut across his lawn, but there's a, behind his lawn, there was actually about a four feet like between where we had some, you know, trees and stuff like that. But I knew that if you stayed on that four feet, you were technically not on his lawn, but you were pretty much in his yard. 
So I'm thinking, look at me, I'm in your yard. What are you going to do? I didn't do that. I was convicted before that. But actually, I sought instead to build a relationship with him, to turn the other cheek, to, to intentionally say, hey, I understand my kids, they're a little wild. We'll, try to, we'll certainly try hard to do that. But great to see you. We'd love to invite you over for, for, uh, for barbecue this, this fall. Now, why? Because in doing so, we're trying to, well, follow the way of Jesus. And remember, in following the way of Jesus, this is what's key, and we're hearing it over and over again. Christians deal with conflict differently because of Christ. On an individual basis, as a Christian, you go further than the law or your rights require. But then we get to some of the application. Let's take a look at number three in our outline. Get to the application here, right? This passage concludes with some challenging application, right? Each addresses a different situation. Jesus' followers can demonstrate how they're following him. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them, uh, turn to the other also. And if anyone would, uh, would sue you and take your tunic, I'd let them have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go to one mile, go with him to give two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and don't refuse the one who would borrow from you. So we really got to start with this, uh, this first one, this turn the other cheek. Now, again, what does that mean? Well, I'm going to actually show you. I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to call for a volunteer who's okay for me uh, exercising physical violence on them. So I need somebody really strong, totally capable of taking a punch who will come up here and join me. Bill? Great. Come on up, Bill. Appreciate that, Pastor Bill. Let's join Pastor Bill. Let's thank him as he's coming up here. So this is Pastor Bill Birchie. He's, uh, he, by the way, you might, you might not know this, but he's doing a great job, because you're not here day to day. He's doing a great job leading the church day to day, doing great work. We're so thankful for him. Yeah, yeah. So this is going to hurt me far more than it's going to hurt you, just so you're aware of this. Okay, so, so um, and you don't have a microphone, which is great for you, because you've always got little quips, and you can't share them. Um, but this says, if anyone strikes you on, which, which cheek does it say? Do you remember? The right cheek. Okay, this really matters. So, no, no, listen to what it says. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek uh, also. Now, again, it doesn't say punch. Let me show you what a punch looks like to the gut. Let me just show you, right? Oh! Oh! It's like hitting steel wool. Squishy steel wool. See what I did there? Steel wool. Good. Okay, but, but what, it, what it does is, is so if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. Now, here's the reality. How would that look like? What would a slap look like? Well, the reality is, is that it says slap and cheek, and it's important that we not miss this, right? Because when we're talking about this, gonna, this is going to hurt a little bit. It's going to hurt you a little bit more. Okay, so, because in doing so, when we talk about a slap, right, here's a slap. Did you hear that? Yeah. <laughs> it was nothing, was it? You want, you want some more? Yeah, you want <laughs> Yeah. Now, now, here's the deal, though. When you think about this, think about this. When you talk about a slap, not a punch, right? So which is your right cheek? Yeah, I know it's hard. It takes a little time. I slapped your left cheek, didn't I? You did. I did. So what do I got to do now? Yeah, slap the other cheek to do it right. But this is why it's important. Because in the culture in that day, almost all people would consider themselves right-handed. Now, this, this really matters, okay? How many of you out there are left-handed? Raise your hand for just a second if you're left-handed. Okay. You're left-handed. I didn't know that. So a few of you are left-handed. Not a lot. I have two daughters who are left-handed. The Latin word sinister means left-handed. That's where we get the word sinister today. So if you're married to a left-handed person, keep in mind they are sinister. Um, 
I know you're left-handed, but that is true, by the way. So what would happen is people really de-emphasize left-handed. So pretty much everybody who would fight would fight with their right hand. Yet the Bible says if they slap you on your right cheek. So what does that mean? That doesn't mean this. What that means is this. Now, why is that significant and why is that important? Because then we would do that now and that would be assault. There may be people calling 911 right now because I, he says he hopes so. And uh, can't take a slap. Um, but the point is, I don't want you to miss this, okay? This is not don't resist physical violence. Okay, I don't want you to miss this, right? Because it's a slap on the left cheek. Now, again, culture then, people would touch each other much more than they would touch each other now. But it's literally, I dismiss you. It's literally, I don't have time for you. It's that kind of level of insult. It's a backhanded slap and a backhanded insult. Would you thank Bill Burchie for his good work? You want to go, 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 you can get one of you. All right, I got uh. Doing a great job leading the church, great Bible teacher, and can take a punch. <laughs> but there's a very important distinction I don't want you to miss. It's not don't resist the intruder who's attacking your family or you. It's a de-escalation of conflict. It's a Christian response to an ins insult rather than escalating it. So, so think about, I mean, we might have seen a cartoon when you were a kid, and they picked up like a glove and they backhanded slap. That's what we're talking So turning on the cheek, there's a reason Jesus gives details. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And then it goes on from here. It says, and if, and if anyone would sue, next one is sued for your inner garment. Now this is ex ex actually a lawsuit situation. This is a lawsuit situation. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your coat as well. Now the reason you couldn't sue for certain things because you would be... Um, there was actually, it, it's, I, I don't have time to go into all the legal issues that are actually here, but what's, what's happening here, we go from the slap of dishonor, that's where that back, a backhanded slap is a slap of dishonor, a slap of reproof, and then here we see a disciple being sued for his inner garment, maybe he owed a debt to an offending party, is seeking to recoup the money by, by possessing his inner garment. Jesus says disciples should not only hand over their inner garment, but their outer garment as well. This would be shocking to the listeners. Now, I want you to remember that when we look to the Bible, we're trying to understand what the listeners would have understood because that would be the point. So the listeners would have seen a insulting backhanded slap. The listeners would have seen shock, would have been shocked that they would then give up your outer garment as well because they wouldn't do that. That was actually protected. You could never sue for the coat. The coat was the layer of warmth to perfect from the cold. Think of this like taking a sleeping bag from a person sleeping on the street. That's his protection. That's in some ways his remaining dignity. Jesus says to give it up voluntarily. So again, Jesus here is using hyperbole to say, what is your dignity? Give it up at that moment for the cause of Christ. The third illustration is probably one we're most familiar with, right? Walking the extra mile. Now, go the extra mile here has a background as well. I thought about keeping Bill up here and just going through, taking his clothes, and then actually having him carry a backpack, because let me explain what that one says. This one says here, it says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. What does that mean? Okay, here's what that means. In that day, they were occupied. You got to remember, we don't have the same legal system. We don't have the same physical insult of a backhanded slap, and we're not occupied by the Romans. We've got to understand what they understood and then apply it today. So then the Romans were occupying, and the soldiers would have to say, okay, we're going to move through Galilee. Okay, we're going we're to move through Judea. 
uh, we don't have trucks to carry our possessions. So what they would do is they would find men and say, okay, listen, I need you, 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 and you. Everyone grab a pack and walk one mile. And that's all they could do. The law was they, they could be made to go one mile. And they go one mile, put them down, and the Roman soldier would say, you, 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 and you, pick up the packs, go another mile. So what Jesus is saying is, no, 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 you just don't, don't, don't make them get another person. You say, I'll go two miles. I'll go farther distance because of that. Now, don't, don't forget, Jesus, some of Jesus' followers were actually zealots, right? Simon the zealot, zealot. Zealots were a political military group that wanted to overthrow Rome and put in a new government in Israel. And so Jesus tells his followers, who at least one of whom was a zealot, that service in the kingdom and the greater righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees is going above and beyond even what your enemies and your occupiers expect of you. So I don't want you to miss this, right? So, so what we're talking about is going above and beyond a greater righteousness, turning the other cheek, sued for the inner garment, going the second mile, doesn't end there, give to those, specifically give to those, uh, give to those who ask. We'll talk more about that. Give to those who ask as well. So walking through those are just continuing to go a separate distance. Now, again, giving to those asked, there, there were people whose primary uh, income because of either disability or, or perhaps birth defect or whatever else it may be, they would literally beg and that's how they would live. So then the reminder is give to each and every one of them. People ask, how do we apply that today? Where sometimes the reality is, is we're actually um, causing damage sometimes in the way that we give. You know, there are ways to do that. I'll tell you what we do. Uh, what, I, what I consistently do is I, I give and I give to say, here's some resources. The city mission has, because you can go to the city mission and it'll get some. You can say, here's these, these things right here will allow you to go get a meal at the city mission and they'll take, and I'm a supporter there and you can be helped there as well. Now, let me say it again. Right here, what we're seeing is Jesus creating a higher standard. I don't want to be confused. I'm not saying Jesus is telling us not to report child abuse or spousal abuse or anything of that sort. I'm not saying he's telling you to, not to resist someone who comes to cause you physical harm. But I am saying he's telling we've got to lower the outrage that's so evident and so quickly escalates in our hearts. And this is a key thing. See, if we would live this, it would be life-changing. It would change in our church. Because our church, I know, Moody Church, we have no conflicts, but let's talk about some other churches that might have conflicts. Because what happens is somebody gets their feelings hurt because they heard somebody said so-and-so or they weren't invited to something, and then they get a little bit short with people, and then they get a little more short with people, and soon it escalates to the P place that people are upset and people are leaving. It escalates. I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you a secret. I fight with my wife Donna sometimes. Now, I find out pretty much I am always the one wrong which is very disturbing to me. But during the moment, I don't think I am. Well, what happens is something will happen and I'll get frustrated because she didn't respond to her texts. I don't know about you. I don't know, husbands, if your wives actually, I, my wife has a cell phone that largely should be a cord phone sitting in our kitchen because <laughs> she never responds to texts. And so I get frustrated. I say, you never respond to texts. And then, and then she says something back, and then it escalates and escalates. Okay, i got to tell you, that's just dumb. I mean, some people use phones differently, and i got to get over that. When I was young, I had to make a point about everything. I always had to be right. Young men love to argue. Wise men love to settle. They want to say, let's just move on from this. You know, I, and I, one of the things I've learned... I used to always have to make the point. Now I see the person is just usually far more important than the point. But it's hard for us. I mean, think about it. You do this. You, you get in an argument at work, and, and, and then later on you kind of 
you kind of fantasize afterwards. Maybe you lost the argument at work, but, but you kind of fantasize afterwards. You're walking down the street, you come back into work, and, and, and that person comes up to you and says something, but now you're ready, like last time you weren't ready. So you just, you just bring some savage response, and they're like, whoa, and, and your coworkers are all around you in your fantasy. Your coworkers are around you, and they're like, yeah, you got him. You told him. You know, they all start going like, do the dab, saying, you the man. And you know why? Because we want to escalate it so we can win. And Jesus says, he's already won. We don't have to win silly little conflicts. But the challenge is, when your personal rights are impacted or your honor is being questioned, the challenge is, what are you going to do? Well, listen, listen to what Paul says. He says, this is, this is powerful. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? What Paul says is maybe, maybe, just maybe, the solution is for you to say, you know what, I'll take this one for the team. You know, I gotta tell you, in my marriage, when I disagree, and sometimes my wife does something that I, I you know what, I just sometimes say, I say, man, I'll just, and, and you, almost always she's right anyway, but for the moment I need to justify it to myself, I'll say, you know what, I'll just take this one for the team. You know, that's the team here is the team of followers of Jesus Christ. Isn't the exact picture of what we see in Jesus' life? He didn't resist evil done to him. He didn't seek vengeance against his oppressors. Instead, he committed it to the Father. And we see in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 21, it says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was any deceit found in him, in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. See, now don't miss that, right? Reviled, reviled. You can do that, eye for an eye. But when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Now, here's the reality. Um, there are a hundred places where this passage can be applied in your life probably in the next month. When that person cuts you off in the car, when your boss gives someone else credit for something you should have done, you should have received, uh, when, when someone in your family has frustrated you and you want to respond in kind and it escalates into an argument, Don and I have been married for 30 years and we have learned that what we say to one another when we're arguing, argument is coming is, how can we de-escalate this? You know, the answer is, the answer is turning the other cheek, the answer is giving up the tunic, the answer is walking another mile, the answer is giving as we're asked. And in doing so, can I just tell you, this could revolutionize your marriage, your workplace, your relationships, and more. Now, Bill took one for the team, and we had fun. You know, Bill and I talked about this beforehand, by the way. This was not a surprise to Bill. He agreed to it, uh, though not the reference to steel wool, because that was added in at the end. Um, <laughs> but I couldn't think of anything else to describe it. Um, but, but, you know... Um, when we walk a journey like this and we honor Christ in our responses, rather than outrage escalating, what happens is grace de-escalates the conflicts. And this is the kind of person I think you and I want to be. Now, I know what we want to hear is, 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 well, let's do it our way and let's win this. But we have Jesus as an example. So the question is, how do we live now in light of this truth? And some of you listening might say, man, this is not how my heart responds when I'm wronged. I seek, I seek justice. I want revenge. Well, let me encourage me. Let me exhort you to come to Jesus. 
maybe you're already a Christian, but there's something in you that still wants to slam on the brakes and teach the guy a lesson. But he's the reason we can respond in love when we're wronged. Come to Jesus. He's the reason we forgo revenge when we're mistreated. He's the reason that those believers at Mother Emmanuel could stand up at a trial motion and say, you know what, you've taken so much and you're going to go to jail for sure, but I pray for mercy on your soul. You see, Jesus is saying it's easy. It's easy to do this eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Anyone can do that. And that, that limits the escalation of a hat-filled McCoy pig into the killing of people in a community. But if that's not how your heart responds when you're mistreated, I invite you to a better righteousness, a a whole person, kingdom-minded, Jesus-following, who looks to the good of others, even if the good means their temporary discomfort, life. You can. I can. I grew up in New York City. We we had a lot of fights in our neighborhood. We had groups that we didn't, they might have called them gangs today. We thought of them as groups to protect ourselves. And and I got to tell you, I knew you had to take an eye for an eye, and sometimes you had to escalate to teach a lesson. And then I learned that Jesus has a better way. But he's still working that way out of my heart. He's still making me more like him and less like the flesh in me. Maybe the same thing's true for you. Would you bow your heads and pray with me and let's ask God to change our hearts. Father, may we hear the words of Jesus here, the teachings of Jesus here, that de-escalate the outrage, that show well, someone, something different in us that we're the ones who say, you know what, that's fine. I'll move away from that insult, that slap. They slap me on the right cheek. I'll move away from that. I'll love them anyway. Father, help us to think rightly and biblically about this passage, not to de-emphasize it, but to realize just how challenging this would be. But in you and in your strength, we can find that that ability to walk in the power of your Spirit. So, Father, we pray that you be glorified as we turn the other cheek, as we walk the extra mile, and we glorify you in our lives.